The Icarus Complex Written, narrated and edited by Lyndon Cole Episode 1 my dearest let me first of all say that writing this to you and laying bare my life for all to witness and most likely scrutinize may well be the hardest thing I've ever had to do everyone has a story to tell each and every one of us has made mistakes learned lessons and had their share of successes and failures at every stage of life However, this is my story, as I remember it. If this were a book, I would name it The Icarus Complex, which I guess might give you some idea about what's to come. If you don't know the story of Icarus, in Greek mythology, Icarus and his father Daedalus were imprisoned on an island by King Minos. To escape, Daedalus, a master craftsman, created two sets of wings made of wax and feathers. He warned his son not to fly too close to the sun, as the wax would melt. He also cautioned Icarus not to fly too low, as the feathers could get wet in the sea. His warnings, however, went unheeded. Icarus was so intoxicated by the experience of flight that he went higher and higher, closer to the sun. As the wax in his wings melted, he tumbled into the sea and drowned. Yep, morbid, I know. But the saying, don't fly too close to the sun, is a reference to Icarus's recklessness and defiance of limitations. I know it sounds strange, but the phrase Icarus complex isn't something I've made up. It's actually a well-known psychology term. And this being the case, having the Icarus complex characterizes individuals who initiate overly ambitious projects that come to naught, causing harm to themselves and others in the process. They can also be fueled by excitement, delusions of grandeur and impulsiveness, 
and these individuals are unable to rein in their misguided enthusiasm before it's too late, often letting adulation go to their heads. They also display symptoms such as placing excessive confidence in their own judgment, becoming reckless and restless, displaying narcissistic tendencies, and ignoring the practicality, cost, damaging consequences, and the feelings of others in relation to their various endeavors. Now we've got all the technical and scientific stuff out of the way, I guess you're asking, how does this all relate to me? It's a fair question. If I had to answer it, I'd say, well, I am, or was, what might be considered as a narcissist. At least a self-proclaimed one, anyway. Which I guess makes me narcissistic, if you really think about it. I was also what you would class as a bit of a Casanova although that wasn't always the case. But to date, I've been involved in some really tricky, heartbreaking and weird situations, particularly over the past 20 years, with issues in regards to race, abuse, substance and otherwise, adolescence, but mainly in relation to the opposite sex. I say all that, but it's not to brag. For example, most things you'll hear, I've never told anyone before. Believe me when I say this isn't supposed to be a tell-all, designed to excuse or justify my behaviour. It's more to put things into perspective, to warn you, to say sorry, to try and explain why I've become the person I've become, and also show you the error of my ways. But equally, to show you what it can be like growing up male and black in this country, but also a kind of how not to guide when it comes to maintaining relationships with people. You'll come to realize that I have done a lot of things. Most of them I'm not proud of. Some I wouldn't change in a heartbeat. And some I look back in fondness and laughter. But nevertheless, these episodes, for want of a better word, have helped, for better or for worse, mould me into the man that I have become. Don't get me wrong though, I am no relationship guru, for if Bridget Jones were a man, that would be me, because anyone with as much bad luck as I've had, seen what I've seen and done, isn't going to settle down anytime soon unless it's pre-arranged or paid for. Decades of pillar and posting have started to take its toll. Plus, I've started to notice my wedding and family body clock is ticking, like a time bomb ready to explode. Which to any normal person would be a sign of growth. But for me, it's not necessarily a good sign. Over 200 females have crossed my path in some capacity. Some more meaningful encounters than others. But none of them I speak to now. Nor was I ever able to maintain any worthwhile relationship with them. 
said for one. But that will come as a bit of a shock. Especially for those who know me. I wasn't the cutest or hottest growing up. I was scrawny and weak. I looked very much like the African kids you see in Common Relief. I knew it, and I made no attempt to look or do anything about it. I wouldn't have known how to, but it would have been good for me to just know what it was like to be fancied by someone. Thus, primary school was a nightmare for me. I went to three different primary schools in a space of five years, never really fitted into any of them. One of those because I didn't live in the area, and the school only allowed a certain number of out of catchment area children to attend and the other because the headmistress insisted on putting the only three black boys in that year into special behavioural classes once a day where we just play outside whilst my classmates were being taught so you can imagine how pissed my parents were I just couldn't settle I didn't have any interests or hobbies and I certainly wasn't good at sports I was often on the receiving end of jokes such as Liam, smile. We can't see you. And Don't put your hand in a pack of jelly babies. The black ones will steal your rings. Jokes of which I laughed at and thought nothing of at the time because I didn't know any better. I was just your average run-of-the-mill boy with a handful of friends and nothing worthwhile going for him. I obviously knew the difference between boys and girls. I wasn't an idiot, but I was innocent and oblivious to puppy and first love and didn't know what it meant to be attracted to girls until about year five, so age nine. I took a liking to Lucy Harrison first, the headmaster's daughter, although that was shut down almost immediately. I suppose Mr. Harrison didn't like the idea or take too kindly to the Comet Relief and Live Aid kids sniffing around his daughter. So the second girl I ever liked was Aron Knight Simpson. There isn't much to say about Aron. She was never interested in anything I had to say often moving away from me when I came near her, or never wanted to play with me in the playground. When the rumours began to circulate around class that she in fact liked my best friend Damien, who by the way couldn't read or write and picked his nose and ate it on a daily basis, their betrayal cut me deep even at the tender age of nine. To level the playing field, I made a roan a mixtape cassette, hoping that whenever she heard the songs, she would think of me, and perhaps, somehow, finally have the same feelings I did. <laughs> Don't ask me where I got this idea from, I couldn't possibly tell you, but some of my best songs are on there, and I took it personally when everyone, somehow, got wind of my gesture and teased me mercilessly for days after. 
<laughs> yep. I was a soft, emotional kid. After all, what nine-year-old thinks like that? But I guess growing up an only child and watching Disney films can do that to you. Thinking about it now, even kiss chase and playground games between the boys and girls always ended prematurely when I came along. And with all that misfortune and knockbacks, I just decided one day that I had to start trying to fit in, doing anything I could not to be the laughing stock for the wrong reasons. As a result, my education took a battering because I focused less on learning and more playing the class clown. So I left primary school with level four sats, but I was unconcerned. You see, to me, I felt like I developed a natural ability to make people laugh. And doing so made me feel good. I still wasn't popular, but it would be something that I would be sure to adapt and perfect when I joined the Ravensbourne Secondary School. The first girl I ever fancied at Ravensbourne was Amber Jackson. I've seen pics of her since. And let's just say I'm better off. She's married now too, so bullet dodged. And looking at her, age hasn't exactly been on her side. But nonetheless, as a hormonal 11-year-old, clearly taste and sense or attributes I was lacking in. Amber had that child model look. The only girl I knew, age 11, that wore mascara, had long legs and a push-up bra. And yet I chose to pursue the one girl that everyone else was after too. As if I actually had a chance. It was never going to work out, obviously. And the familiar phrase... I just don't fancy you, Liam. rang through my ears on a daily, weekly basis. But you know what? I never gave up. And my tenacity and determination finally paid off. When during a maths lesson, Helen, one of Amber's closest friends, told me that Amber had agreed to go out with me. What? Are you serious? I obviously had to verify this with Amber. And like a scene from The Godfather, she gave me a smile and a thumbs up from across the classroom confirming that it was true. I was such a smug so-and-so for the rest of that lesson. But honestly, could you really blame me? I was going out with a girl who was considered as the hottest in our form class, perhaps even our year group. It was the best news ever. I can't believe it. I'm going out with Amber. However, it was all over by playtime. It turned out that Amber only went along with it to make another kid in my class jealous. And not because I was some amazing catch that everyone else was after too, 
in order to boost her rep around school. Nope. No. That wasn't it. The idea was to use me as proof so that everyone could see that Amber could have anyone she wanted when she wanted. It was a warning to those worthy of her to step their game up. And I was just a pawn in her sick little chess game. But you know what? Regardless of all of that, I couldn't have given two shits. Because for 15 minutes and 32 seconds, I'd gone out with Amber Jackson.